Hey, everybody. Hi, good morning. Boy, it's so good to see you. What a, what a treat. This is our seventh anniversary. That's really quite something, isn't it? Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. It's really um, amazing. Uh, um, I, I'm, I just can't tell you how happy I am. It's not necessarily our anniversary because days are days are days, but just kind of just the joy of the Lord, um, just a, a sense of it. Maybe, maybe it's because we're going to have communion today. Maybe it's in um, this particular section of Scripture we're in. It's really quite an amazing place in Scripture. It's almost like it's a hodgepodge. Uh, when I read through it, I thought, you know, this uh, doesn't make a lot of sense insofar as it doesn't seem to connect with one another. Yet, as I studied it and, and tried to bring things together, I saw, oh yeah, it does. It really, really does. Um, and so we'll see that in a moment. But I, I wanted to uh, just uh, celebrate this particular anniversary with you, the 7th, and to say what a, what a great, great treat. And also, you probably know that this week, Thursday, the 11th of November, is Veterans Day. A few years ago, I received uh, through an email. Maybe I received it, or maybe Shelley did. I don't remember my memory. But, but it doesn't really matter. I, I, I do remember this, though. I, I told Shelley, I like this, this poem. It's not really a poem, but I like this, uh, what I got in the mail. And I emailed it to her, and I said, would you keep it for, for me? And, and on a Veterans Day or, or an appropriate time, remind me, and, 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 we'll, and I'll, I want to say it. Um, and in fact, it's up on the wall. I, I didn't, didn't know that last night, and I, I read what I, I had printed it out for myself, and I made a few changes. And last night I read the few changes I made, and they didn't coincide with that, so I better stick with the wall because that was the way it really came. Let, let, let me read this to you concerning the veterans. It says, it is the veteran, not the preacher, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us the freedom of the press. It is the veteran, not the poet, who has given us the freedom of speech. It is the veteran, not the campus organizer, who has given us the freedom to assembly. And it is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the veteran, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the veteran who salutes our flag, and it is the veteran who serves under our flag. You know, that, isn't that pretty? I have no idea where I... That is really pretty. I, I don't know who wrote that. Uh, I, I, I think I or Shelley got it by email. You know, we gather together today and... and uh, it is our privilege to gather together today and worship the Lord. And um, we, are, we are here comfortably. We are not here under pressure to worry about what someone might say if they, they knew we were in church and, and take away from us our freedom. But there are some countries that to go to church is a, a big deal. It's hard for them to go under a lot of pressure. So we, uh, we thank those who served this country of ours so beautifully and, and have given us this freedom of religion. Well, let's take a look at this place in Scripture and read it with me. And, and uh, I think you'll see in a moment, it seems almost um, as if it jumps around. Um, but I'm here to tell you that it really does make great sense once you really truly look at it and, and, 
and, and take a study of it. I would like to start at verse 21. I, I recognize that we, we looked at verse 21 last week, but verse 21 really ties in to this whole thought that Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, remember that, that Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy was at a church that was a dysfunctional church at Ephesus. Having some problems, Timothy was as the pastor. He was younger, and, uh, and, and so Paul had to come and kind of help straighten things out. But as Paul mentioned uh, upon his departure, he knew that savage wolves and others were going to come from even from amongst the church itself and, and, and try to devour, uh, devour those that were there as true believers. And so this is written not just to Timothy. This is as current as today's newspaper for you and for me as we study through this place in Scripture. Listen to what Paul says, starting in verse 21. We'll read to the end of this chapter. And by the way, we are now, after this week, next week we will be in chapter 6, and and it appears that uh, really soon uh, we will be through with this particular book, and we will go on into the book of Revelation, which is going to be an exciting study, and we will have a uh, hopefully a, a really a great time in that, that particular book. Verse 21 to verse 25. Note the seriousness of Paul when he starts this verse. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others... Their sins will follow after. Likewise also deeds or good works that are good are quite evident. And those which are otherwise, they cannot be concealed. And so I think you get with me a little bit of a jumping around here. Um, Paul begins by, 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 by solemnly charging Timothy in the presence of God, in the presence of the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the presence of His holy angels, to he says to maintain these principles. These principles are the things that we have been learning here in 1 Timothy. All of these things have gathered up and all of them are presented before us. And, and, and so he says, I, I solemnly urge you, don't do any of this with bias or in a spirit of partiality. In other words, you're to treat everybody fairly. And then he goes off and says, don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. Therefore, if you do, you're going to share the responsibility for their sins. Keep yourself, he says, free from sin. Then he jumps into don't, don't just exclusively drink water. Drink a little wine, Timothy, for the sake of your stomach and what ails you. And then he talks about sin. He says in verse 24, some, some sin is quite evident. You'll see it. It'll go right before the person. But other sins, 
not so much. They'll follow afterwards. Likewise, he says, the same is true with good works. Some you'll be able to see, and they're, they're, they're quite evident. Others, not so much. So why does he write this? Well, we are going to have communion. Did I already tell you that? Yes, I think I did. We're already going to have, we are going to have communion. I'm really excited about us having communion because I think this message really, really um, kind of presents itself for those of us to think through what is the purpose of communion. And, and I think that uh, as I was studying through this, I, I called uh, about midweek, maybe Thursday, and I said, I'd like to have communion if it's okay, if it's not too much of a trouble. And they said, no, don't worry. We would be able to have communion. And so we will have communion. And we will also think through who we are in Christ. With that in mind, would you pray with me, please? Father, just would love to, just would love very much, Father, to ask your blessings upon this time. Lord, I want to thank you for uh, the, the family that, that gave of the piano. Um, I want to thank you, Father, that, that you have held our church together for these seven years. We've had a glorious time. And yes, Father, as everyone and most know, and, and you know very well, we've had some difficulties as well. For that, Father, we ask your forgiveness. There is absolutely no reason we should have had, but we did. And, and Lord, I pray that you would help and bless us in, in spite of, of our human failures, Father. And Lord, I ask that you'll, you'll bless the veterans, those people who have served this wonderful country that you have given us, the United States of America. They have served us well, Father, given us the freedom of not only religion and press and speech, but, Father, uh, our right to gather together as we do, to be able to present without fear the gospel. Lord, thank you so much for that. And now, most of all, Father, we thank you for your words that we have just read here in First Timothy, the fifth chapter, Lord, as we have it chronicled down from verses 21 to 25, however Paul might have written this. We thank you for his words. May it teach us as a church a great lesson about, about how we're to handle things within the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we, we ask, Father, really humbly, I ask, that you would hide me. And in that, in that respect, Father, I, what I'm saying, Lord, so that everybody might clearly understand, you know my heart. I would love to, the fact that, that we would sense that we hear from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would, would minister and teach us, and, and that we might sense that we're hearing from your heart to our own hearts, not, not through a speaker so much but what you would want to say to us if, if we would just be quiet and listen. Because and, we believe, Father, with all of our hearts that if, if we hear from you, we'd be more inclined to be obedient than just me. And so, Father, I ask that you move me aside so that you might work as you so desire within each of our hearts. God bless us as we're about to have communion in a little while. Father, may we do that in the obedience that you've asked us to concerning your son. Would we take of the bread and drink of the juice, Father, in remembrance of what your son has done for each of us who have trusted and believe in him, given us 
the forgiveness of our sin, given us what is true freedom. Lord, bless this time, please. In Jesus' most precious name, I, I pray. Amen. Okay, when we left off last week, um, Paul was teaching Timothy and us, really, uh, as I've already said, it's, this is as current to, as, a, as today's newspaper for you and me. He's saying you're to, we are to care for the church that God has given us. It says in, in, in verse 21 that, that we're to treat everyone within the body of Christ fairly, everyone within our lives fairly, regardless of their position, regardless of their popularity. Verse 21, read it with me again. Look how serious, look how serious Paul is about this. He says, I solemnly charge you. Well, not only does he solemnly charge Timothy and us, but he says, I charge you in the presence of God the Father and in the presence of Jesus Christ, his Son, and of his chosen angels, that what I want you to do is to maintain the principles that we have just learned without bias, doing nothing from a spirit of partiality. Paul is saying you need to treat everyone in the church alike. No one is to, see, to receive preferential treatment, whether it be an elder or, or, or any of us in the front row as well as in the back row of the church. There must be absolutely no effort to protect those who are famous or, or specially gifted or popular, nor, nor are we to expose anyone or take advantage of anyone who is not popular. James said it the best. Listen to James chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. You can turn there if you wish, but just listen to it. You'll, you'll get it. James says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Then he gives an example. He says in verses 2 and 3, If someone comes into your church and they have a gold ring on and dress in fine clothes, and also comes into your church a poor man who is in dirty clothes. And you, he says, pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes. Tell them, sit here in this good place. And then you say to the poor man, stand over there or somewhere or sit down by my footstool. He says, you, you've made a distinction among yourselves. You've become judges with an evil motive. We're not to do that. We're to not show any partiality or bias. We're to treat everybody the same. You know, it, it kind of does and kind of doesn't, but it kind of goes along with what I say about giftedness within a church. There is nothing uniquely special about this, this place, this, 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 the preacher. The preacher is just someone who has been gifted by God and has become hopefully obedient to our Lord to do what God has asked him to do. The case is closed, but that's the truth for every single one of us who have a gift. Every single one who has been given a gift by God, and you have if you've come to Christ, we are all to use our gift. And so to say that this is more special than that, no, it, it's not. There, there is no bias or partiality within the family of God. We are all just a group of people, hopefully, wanting to serve and love one another and serve and love our Lord and make this place 
is healthy and is, is, is wonderful a place for someone to come in that they could come in here and feel relaxed, feel loved, feel that they have been told the truth of concerning the gospel. So in regard to our not showing partiality or bias, as verse 21 says, then Paul says, verse 22, that's what leads, that's why I wanted to say something about verse 21, because 22, is we must be careful because it leads into that. In verse 22 it says this, Don't lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thus you'll share in the responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. In verse 22, the words to lay hands upon someone means to set someone apart for ministry or to serve the Lord. Paul says, don't do that too hastily. In chapter 3, in verse 10, we were told by Paul, I think leading up to this, said, talking about elders, these men must also first be tested. They first must be tested, it says in chapter 3, verse 10. Therefore, he says, let them serve as a deacon so you can see if they are beyond reproach. The reason we're not to put someone into a position of authority or, or ministry too early is because if we do, we then share the responsibility for their sins if they mistreat people. You see, for a church to hastily ordain a person without proper examination make those who brought this person into the ministry responsible for the way they treated other people. Here's how we know that. The word keep. It says keep yourself free from sin. The word keep in the Greek is T-E-R-E-O. It's a quite interesting word. It means to exercise with watchful care. It warns you and me, be careful who we bring into ministry, into being someone who would serve the Lord. We need to keep, or T-E-R-E-O, we need to exercise watchful care over them. Why? Because... If they go off, we share in the responsibilities for their sins. So Paul says, exercise this watchful care over those you lay your hands upon and and don't do that too hastily because you'll share in their missteps. Now Paul then, after saying that, gets very practical with Timothy. Very interesting. Off. Out of nowhere, it appears, comes verse 23. And he says, No longer drink water exclusively. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. You know, I I can understand that verse in some ways. I think that verse goes in two different directions, and I think both are extremely correct. But it doesn't... It doesn't say these words, so we need to be careful. What I'm going to say to you is kind of what I believe Paul is saying to Timothy and to us. I think if anyone who has been in ministry for any length of time and and starts to grow in your faith, 
you start to be concerned for the other, the other people. You, you just, you know, you meet families like yours and you just fall in love with them, you know? And, and, and you, you try to be careful with the people that you meet. And, and we are told in Scripture that when we become mature in our faith, there are things that we should choose not to do so as not to cause another brother or sister to stumble in their faith. I'm sure that some, if not most of you here, have gone through that type of an experience. But let me share you a little bit about this. What can we surmise from this verse? Don't drink water exclusively. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach, Timothy, for your frequent ailments. Now, some have abused this text, saying that it, does, it gives us a right to drink. Look, there is, the Bible does not say that it, you can't drink. Drink is fine in moderation, and it is acceptable. But there are some here who, if they have a drink, it's like they become addicted. They, they can't handle just a drink. I, I don't know that, but I have not experienced that. But, but that's, I know that's true. The part about water, in the ancient world, there, water was known to be impure. Water was known to carry different diseases, such as dysentery. When, when I was young, <laughs> when I was playing baseball with the Dodgers, I, Jimmy Campanis was here in the first service, sitting right over here where you were. And, 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 and I told Jimmy, I said, have you ever heard, I asked all of you, have you ever heard of Cabimas, Venezuela? No, no, you haven't heard of Cabimas, Venezuela. And I asked Jimmy, I said, do you ever heard of Cabimas? He said, no. I said, well, that's where your father sent me to play winter ball. It's Cabimas, Venezuela. Let me tell you where Cabimas, Venezuela was, best of my memory. We landed, I think, in Maracaibo, in Venezuela. We got in a car, and we started to drive. And I'm not, I'm not trying to exaggerate here. I think we drove approximately an hour on a paved road. And, and the, the driver in this, like, taxi had about five of us ballplayers in it. And he would drive. It was nighttime, and he would drive with his lights completely off. He did. And when cars were coming, they would both flash their lights at one another, like, look out, here I am, you know. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And so we drove that. We drove for about an hour on a paved road. And then, I'm not trying to exaggerate, we drove for about 45 more minutes on gravel road. And we finally got to Cabimas. That's why you've not heard of Cabimas. But I was told one thing by Mr. Campanus and the Dodge organization when I went there. Don't drink the water out of the tap. It's probably not going to be clean. Well, back in those days, we didn't have much bottled water. So kind of in a predicament, what did you do? And it, they didn't say drink wine, but they said, you know, if, if you, you can have beer or two if you want. You know, if it, that'll, that, that, that'll be fine for you. Imagine, Johnny, you heard that some when you were days of playing ball. But I understand, I think, what, what, what Paul is saying to Timothy here. But, but let, let's take a real biblical, more of a, a scriptural look, a, a spiritual, if you would, look at this. Timothy, more than likely, had committed himself to abstain from wine and he did it for a reason. I have. I, I choose not to. Although when I'm out with friends and, and if, if, if my wife has a glass of wine, I will sip on her wine. I, I, but I am, you know, I could have it or not. It doesn't really matter. But I'd rather not because I'd rather not see people see me drinking thinking it's okay to drink then. And if they're, ad if they're addicted or, or 
it could, it could make them stumble. I'd rather not have any wine. It's not that big of a deal. Here's why. I, I've, I've read out of Scripture in a couple of places. Here, it's up on the wall. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Romans chapter 14. If you want to, you can turn there. You can read Romans 14 on your own. It says in, in a much longer version of what, what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. He says, if food, not talking just exclusively about food, but anything, it might be food, it might be drink, it might be whatever. If food, he says, causes my brother or sister to stumble, then I will never eat meat again, or in this case, have another drink. I I won't in their presence. If it causes them to stumble, I won't eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. I believe with all of my heart that's what Timothy was doing. And so Paul says, Timothy, you you need to have a little bit of wine. You can't just drink water exclusively. Have some wine for your stomach's sake. Now, Paul gets even more practical. He says in verse 24 that our sins will be found out sooner or later. He says the sins of some men are quite evident. In other words, you can see that there's sin there in their life. These sins go before them to judgment, Paul writes. But for others, he says, their sins will follow afterwards. We, we might not know, but, but, but know for certain your sins will be found out. Sometimes God will will judge a person right here and right now. But if God does not judge immediately, it doesn't mean that He's not going to judge sooner or later. God will move in on His judgment, and He will ultimately judge. Now, you and I, as, as individuals, have a choice to make. We can judge ourselves. And we can find ourselves guilty. And we can run to the cross, walk to the cross, crawl to the cross, but we can go to the cross and we can, upon the feet of Jesus Christ, lay our sins. Trust in Him for the forgiveness of our sins. Ask Him to forgive us so that we might be the the people that God has created us to be and thank Him for what He has done upon the cross. And our sins are wiped away. Paul is writing this to unbelievers. He wrote to the Corinthians that some of them were taking the Lord's Supper, what we are about to do in a few minutes, And they were doing it in an improper manner. In fact, let's turn to it. Because it'll kind of set the tone for when we have communion in about in a few minutes. Would you hold your place here in Timothy and turn to the left and find 1 Corinthians. You'll go past uh, Philippians and Ephesians, Galatians and 2 Corinthians. And then find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, let's, let's look at verse 26. I, I don't like jumping into the middle of a chapter, but 
But let, for, this, for this reason, let's, for this sake, let's do this. It says in verse 26 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, For as often as you eat this bread, Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples there in the upper room, and they're having what is called the Lord's Supper. He says, As often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an, here it is, an unworthy manner, that person shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a person examine themselves. And so let them eat the bread and drink of the cup. For the person who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if, if and if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, the Lord said, there are many among you who are weak and sick and even a number who are sleeping. In other words, dead. But he says in verse 31, if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. Believers, Christians, that is the greatest privilege that you and I have, to be able to judge ourselves rightly. When we do sin, and we do sin as believers, we have what is called 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, our Lord is faithful and just to forgive us, even us believers. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as believers, we're all human, we will all sin. But when, when we sin as a Christian... When we judge ourselves, it doesn't mean that we're sorry for our sins. In other words, you've all had this, maybe all of you who are parents had it with with your children. They're sorry, but they're sorry they got caught. They're not sorry for what they've done. We are sometimes the same way as believers. We're just sorry we got convicted of what we did. But we really have never judged ourselves rightly. When we sincerely repent, like for instance, let's say we've hurt someone. We are then to go to them and to make it right, to seek their forgiveness. If you've done that and that person rejects you, that's as far as you need to go. The rest is up to God. God will then convict that person's heart. You've done the best that you can do, but that is how we are to judge ourselves rightly as believers. We are to seek forgiveness, and we are to turn from that sin. If we don't do those things, then we are told, we as even believers have not judged ourselves rightly. So, Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 32, continues by saying, But when we are judged, then we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The world is unbelievers. What does their condemnation look like? Well, we've got to look at that. That's what we'll be studying next. Look at the book of Revelation. Last book in your Bible to the right. The uh, next, to, well, there's chapter 22, 21. Let's look at chapter 20. Chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. There is so much to read here. You, you might want to read this chapter sometime, but what we're just going to look at is just a few verses. We'll, we'll look at verse 11. This is talking about 
an unbeliever who refuses to judge himself rightly. In other words, refuses to accept what God has done for them upon the cross. Has not and will not accept Jesus Christ. It says John wrote this in verse 11, I saw a great white throne. This is, folks, as we're going to study in time, the great judgment of God upon those who have refused to believe in His Son. That is called the white throne judgment seat of God. You and I will not have to worry about this judgment seat. Believers will not be a part of this judgment. I will read to you in a moment. You'll see. Our judgment will be called the Bema seat, and that will be over the things that we have done in the name of God for a reward. But that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about judging ourselves rightly. So it says, I saw, John wrote in verse 11, a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, whose presence the earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And then John said, I saw the dead, great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, books plural. And another book was opened. This book is called the Book of Life. That's the book that you and I want our name in. How do we get our name in that book? We'll teach you. That was another book. The book was open called the Book of Life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, not the Book of Life, but the books which were open according to their deeds. And John says, The sea gave up the dead. Death and Hades gave up the dead. And they were judged. Those in the sea, those in, the, in, 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 in death and in Hades, they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades, it says, were then thrown into the lake of fire. This is called the second death, the lake of fire. You and I want no part of this. No, we don't want to be in those books. We want to be in the book of life. We do not want to experience the second death. And he says in verse 15, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, not the books, but the book of life, if, they were, if their name was not found written in that book, they were thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. And so, and so folks, if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you either must judge yourself or one day surely God will judge you as we just read. But if you judge yourself rightly, that is with a pure and sincere heart, you will not be judged. The matter is settled, the Bible teaches us. Once we come to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, then we are forgiven by God Almighty. And our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But if you choose not to judge yourself, and that is a choice that all of us will make, then God will one day judge each of us. I'm talking about unbelievers. He will judge you harshly, eternally. And that is called the second death. Now, back to please... 
1 Timothy chapter 5, in the last verse of chapter 5, and that's verse 25, that is also going to be true of our, our good works, our deeds. Likewise also, your deeds that are good, they're evident. And those which are otherwise, in other words, not so good, they also cannot be concealed. You know, sometimes uh, we see people receive blessings here on earth and we wonder, wow, how did that ever happen? Sometimes our rewards are quick and sometimes they are, they don't seem to ever come. They will come. God will will bless everyone that needs to be blessed. It says, uh, humble yourself, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, hum, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you at the proper time. And so, with that in mind, guys, would you kind of get, uh, get the, the uh, communion kind of started? While you're receiving communion, if you wouldn't mind, would you just hold the bread and the wine and we can all take it together. If you are here, and if you, you're not certain that you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, folks, there isn't a lot of hoops you have to do. I don't know how to explain it. I, can, I still can relate. It's not that long ago, although it's been quite a few years, but it's still in my memory. It's not that long ago when... When someone asked me, do you want to be a Christian? I thought, well, I already am. I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you mean, do I want to be a Christian? I was born here in the United States of America, you know. I'm a Christian. And, 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 and I thought that you had to do things. I thought that, goodness, I mean, all the years that I lived, apart from being a Christian, you, I thought that I was going to have to do good for all those other years. And then at the end of doing good, for how many years I did bad, these many years I do good, then I could become a Christian. And that's not the way it works. God is willing and ready to forgive you of your sin, all of your sin, immediately. This is going to be hard to take, but He's not only ready to forgive you and has already forgiven you for every sin that you've done, He's, he's already forgiven you for all the sins that you're going to do. I know this is weird. I know it's hard to comprehend. But that's the truth of the gospel. That's why it's called good news. God wants to give you and me eternal life. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, November the 7th, about 11.30 in the morning, you can ask Christ into your heart, simply saying, forgive me of my sin. Help me to become the person that you've created me to be. And your Savior will come into your heart. He will come into your life and, and He will try at that point in time to start to mold you into the person that God wants you to be. And for, for most of you, it's not going to be a big change. We just would love to help you grow in your faith. For those of us who are already believers, we know that. I, I would love for you and me to take communion very seriously right now. And for every time that we take it from hereafter, I think that it is imperative for you and me to judge ourselves rightly. In other words, if we've done wrong to go, and, and if we have to make amends, do so. If we, whatever it is that we should 
go and do whatever it takes to judge our sins rightly. Listen, it is foolhardy for you and me to think that we can hide from God some of the things that we've done that we don't want Him to know. You know, He, he knows everything. He, he knows even the secrets of our hearts. He knows the things that we're going to, going to say, not only the things that we've said. And so it, we, it would be foolhardy for you to do that. So I'm going to be quiet now for the next four minutes or so. I know that's a long time, but, but about four minutes, we'll just be quiet. And, and we'll dim the lights and we'll play some uh, little soft music. And, and I, I would love for you to just kind of get alone and quiet with the Lord. As soon as uh, that time is over with, then we'll take communion with one another. And I'll, I'll help lead us to that, if you don't mind. So let's just kind of pray and get alone with God for a moment. I'm not interrupting your prayer uh, right now. Um, I just um, want us to, to remember exactly what it is we're doing. When, when Jesus was in the, uh, in the upper room, what was called the, La- the Lord's Supper, had his men with him, and he, he tore off some bread, as I, as I picture it. And he said, this is my body. I'm going to give it up for you, he said. And he says, every time you eat of this bread, he says, would you do it in remembrance of me? Um, it's critical in your life, in my life, that we, we center our thoughts upon our Lord as often as we can. It's, it is good for you to have reminders in your life that remind you of Jesus Christ and you're his child. And it's good to, to thank him often for who he is and remember what he's done for you. And so when you take of this bread right now, do it in remembrance of the wonders of Jesus Christ in your life. In the process of that meal, they had some wine, and Jesus Christ made a very amazing statement to the the disciples were in that room. He, he held up his cup of wine and he said, this is a new covenant. This is my blood, he says. It will be shed for the forgiveness of your sin. He took them from that place where animals had to be shed and blood had to be shed. Excuse me, animals had to be sacrificed and blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. He took him and us to that place where once and for all he would shed his blood for the forgiveness of the world. And so he said to them, this is new covenant. This is my blood. As often as you drink of this, again he said like he did with the bread, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Just remember what I have done for you. Remember that your sins have been wiped clean. You're forgiven. 
remember, what does that mean to you? To me, it means his love is his overwhelming love that he would do that for me, for you. So when we drink of this wine, this juice, let's, let's do so in great respect and remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, uh, you know, it's just, it's hard to even say words, Lord, right now, because, I mean, what can we say? You know, you've told us, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a, that's a tremendous statement. You say to us, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And, and you ask us not to lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because you, you are the kingdom. You're the power. You're the glory forever, Father. To say those words, it's hard. It, I look forward, as I think each of us here do, Father, that one day we will be with you and we'll be able to really comprehend what that means. Be able to look around and see heaven itself and see Jesus Christ, see the disciples, see loved ones who have passed away and gone before us and gather with them. Lord, there's, there's so much to that. Father, thank you for communion that we can remember who you are. Also remember who we are. Frail, sinful human beings who try to follow and love you. Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us. and I pray you'll bless it. For every person here, I pray you'll bless it, Father. Yes, Father, we remember what your Son has done for us. We remember it well. And we are, we are so thankful. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being here today. I'll see you next week.